Welcome to Protecting Your Assets, the show about protecting people, property, and most importantly, protecting your ass. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano, and I'd like you to join me for a fast-paced and often fiery discussion about security issues with my co-host, Brian the Angry Man Claimer. Whether we're piercing the veil of security, talking your duty of care, or raving about the latest technology, we'll share our thoughts on the issues, the trends that are impacting security today and into the future. So grab a coffee and join us for our latest podcast. And don't forget to like and follow us on our sponsor's website, brianclayman.com. And now let's talk about protecting your assets. Hello and welcome to Protecting Your Assets. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano Cedroni, and with me is a very angry man, Brian Clayman. We've uh, we've had some discussions before the recording, and boy, is he up for a, for a, for a chat today. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, but before we get into that, we're gonna we're gonna talk about what keeps us up at night, as we usually do, and then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, our topic today, which is really about is security ready for the 21st century? There's a lot of changes on the horizon that are coming. COVID is sort of we're into the final stretch here, we hope, knock on wood, that we will be back to normal, whatever that is, in a few months. But are we ready for the changes that that's going to bring and everything else that we see around that? But before we get into that, as always, Brian, a little bit about what's keeping you up these days. Well, I think, Luke, you know, full disclosure, I think that uh, Lucky Luciano, I think your luck is going to run out today. We had a fiery pre-podcast yes. meeting some of our best stuff it's really good that we're working remotely and we're not in a room together yes. because it may have turned out bad and you are bigger than me so i probably yes. would have taken the brunt <laughs> that said though okay so what's keeping me up at night uh you know I, every week when we do this podcast for the year we've been doing it it's been about covid and i keep telling myself that you know something else has to be keep me up but still covid today and it's about the vaccination program i cannot understand the people, the anti-vaxxers that are still there, the vaccine-hesitant people that are still there. However, I give the vaccine-hesitant people a little bit more slack. But, you know, I know, and perhaps you know, and most of us may know some anti-vaxxers, I just do not understand the logic. When you look at the data, okay, when you look at where we were, and now that you've got 99%, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, 99 point something percent of people that are being seriously incapacitated, hospitalized, and dying are people that have not been vaccinated. And then you have where we went from like 4,000 cases a day to we're sub 200 right now. And thank God, no deaths today because of the vaccines. Like, what kind of lunacy uh, uh, is it for the anti vaxxers to say what they say? You know, based on what logic and what makes me even more angry, who are the idiots that are listening to them? I mean, it was one thing, you know, when we were rolling out the vaccines and we still weren't sure what, you know, how effective they would be um, to, to be perhaps an anti-vaxxer. But what what is the logic? Like, I'm an anti-vaxxer because it's big pharma. They're out to get us. Really? If they're out to get us. The fact that my family will probably survive and not succumb to COVID, you can come and get me anytime. Like it is just lunacy. Uh, I was listening to a U.S. Uh, uh, host, uh, TV host, uh, cable TV host uh, yesterday, and he was saying that he met this guy uh, in uh, upstate New York uh, on the weekend, and the guy was a well-educated guy, and this was uh, actually Chris Como from CNN 
who, oh, you know, shame on I, you. I, no, I know, Gee, I know. That's I, why you don't want to say I, who I, Listen, <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not a raving liberal, okay, but I like to watch both sides know what people are doing. Oh. But, you know, Chris Cole was an interesting guy, and he was saying that he, and he's a very polarizing guy. And this guy he was talking to was a very uh, well-educated guy who's a professional guy. And the guy said to him, he said, uh, you know, Chris, off the record, okay, I want to ask you this question. He said, "On national TV, said off the record." No, 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 no. He, no, he was telling the story <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, on TV about a personal encounter on the weekend, and he yep. said, "Off the record, Chris." He said, "Isn't it true that they put the government is tracking us through the vaccines?" Come on, let me tell you. I just go crazy when I hear that. I don't think that's possible. But even if it is, you're worried about the government tracking you. Do you have a cell phone? Do you use Google? Do you understand that there is no privacy on your life? And Google's not going to save your life. And your cell phone's not going to save your life. But the vaccine is. So first of all, they're not tracking you. And if they were tracking me, and if they could figure out how to put a transmitter into a liquid solution, that'd be amazing. Track me. I don't really care. Do people realize that if you've got your cell phone and you're walking in Toronto and you go into a Starbucks or you go buy a house or you go buy a restaurant with Wi-Fi, your phone is registering the IEM number at every device location in Canada. And if the intelligence community or the police want to know where you've been with a warrant, they can find out. Oh. So you're worried about COVID. what? What's with the, oh, oh don't start with well, me. Don't so. say that. You're going to get people all riled up again about Big Brother watching everything well, they're doing. But you know what? Who put a gun to your head to get a cell phone? Who put a gun to your head to go on the internet and search porn or go to uh, uh, hate sites, okay? You do that freely. I'm just saying then open your friggin' eyes, okay? The privacy that you think that you don't want to give up through that COVID vaccine, which is just idiocy, you've yeah. given it up years ago. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Are you done? <laughs> you I'm done. I got to take, take a breath. <laughs> I'm only going to say, look, I don't, I don't, I got vaccinated. I'm not, I'm waiting for my second one. I'm in no hurry, to be honest. I'll get it when I get it. Um, and that's I think why you that's, and I, that's why you and I aren't in the same room. That's before. why, well, yeah, you, you're definitely like, I'm uh, a little more laid back to my approach. Let's put it that way. But I, I can, I can understand why people are hesitant, you know, for what it's worth. It's been a disaster in communications. Some people legitimately don't know what to believe and they're afraid, they're hesitant, whatever the reason is. So, it is what it is, so I, that's all I want to. I don't want it to touch on with with COVID because I'm sick and tired of, of talking about it. And you know, now that you've got people talking about wearing masks long term. I think they're crazy. It's ridiculous. Don't get going. Remember yeah. what I did. Okay. To you okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so I'm gonna. My, what's keeping me up at night these days is you know the steady barrage of. Uh, and granted, it's mostly American based because I, I watch. You know, doesn't matter what news channel I watch. Most of it is focused on what's going on in the U.S. Anyway, I watch. Al Jazeera, I watch uh, France 24, I watch even CNN once in a while when I feel like listening to some Ha-ha, I knew it. Crap. But what what I'm seeing is disturbing to me, the, the lack of, of or decay of, of moral, you know, responsibility or ethics, whatever you want to call it. But the, the, this, this sense that the, the give a shit factor for everybody. We talked about police officers becoming, you know, sort of... Um, in, in, irresponsive to what's going on around them, basically just throwing up their, their hands and saying, you know, it's just not worth it. If I react, I get in trouble. If I don't react, I get in trouble. And so you start creating this, this um, uh, attitude of 
it's not worth it. I'm not going to get involved. And so you're starting to see mass resignations out of the U.S. in particular. I don't think Canada's far behind. We typically follow what happens in the U.S. in terms of trends, and I hope I'm wrong on that. But I, I wouldn't be surprised because you talk, we, we both know lots of officers in Canada. I don't know any that are happy doing the job anymore, certainly. If they, if they ever were, certainly nowadays they don't like it and they'd rather, uh, they'd rather retire or be out of the business altogether if they have the opportunity. So I think that, that we're going to experience that. Uh, but the more concerning thing is the, the, the changes that I'm seeing in, in the actual society, the fabric of the people in the community, accepting that. And I'm not saying accepting the police resignation. I'm saying accepting the disrespect that's out there, the disregard for, for people, just the common decency to say, hey, how are you doing? I, I was telling you earlier about the video I saw in, uh, in, I think it was Minnesota. It may have been one of those other uh, democratic street states, as they like to point out. But shoplifters basically just walking into stores. Security guards are there, but they're just videotaping this guy as they walk in with a cart, fill it up with stuff, and they walk right back out and nobody says anything. And, you know, what are you telling people out there when you don't react to that kind of stuff, right? That, to me, is setting a dangerous precedence. And what does that mean for Canadian security going forward, Canadian businesses for that matter? You know, there's a uh, sheriff in the U.S., um, a African-American uh, sheriff. Uh, I, uh, I forget where, but he's very outspoken. He's a real tough law and order guy. And he's been on all the, he's been on Fox, been on CNN and during the Black Lives Matter movement protests and, and, and very opinionated. Uh, I agree with a lot of what he says, but he, he said something that's classic and he, to your point, he says, you know, there's a misconception that the police need to be retrained. The police don't need to be retrained. The public needs to be retrained, yeah. uh, uh, retrained. He said, and I agree. He said there's a collapse of moral fabric. He says parents have to teach their kids respect. And if we get respect back in the country, this war we have of police and the public is going to go away because it's he's maintaining it's a one sided war. Now, I'm not saying that law enforcement is without fault. OK, mm -hmm. but, I, you know, it is really an unfair fight that people think. Uh, it's acceptable nowadays to pull, pull down statues because I don't like the statue. Cancel culture is okay. I'm going to write in Portland because I think such and such is bad. Your cause may be moral. Your actions aren't. This is yep. not what a civilized society does. I mean, uh, with all the statues being pulled down, both in the States and Canada, I understand the anger, but that's not how you do it. And yep. you know what? If you don't learn the lessons of history, you repeat the lessons of history. I just think people have got our society really is at risk. Okay, yeah. I think it really is a turning point, and uh, I think really the police, and we're going to talk shortly about security, are the canary in the coal mine. I think the fractures you're seeing with the uh, justice system, with the powers that are responsible for order, okay, in society. I think that's just a harbinger of things to come, and it's a bit concerning. And I think yeah. it dovetails really well into, is security ready to deal with the challenges of the 21st century? Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's concerning. The, that whole statue thing, you know, just because you remove a symbol, whether it's right or wrong, uh, you know, history has shown, to your point, when, when, when you don't talk about things, when you pretend that they never happened or that they don't exist, and you don't educate the population, then they forget about it. I was reading, actually, now that you, you mentioned it, I actually was reading an article either yesterday or the day before, the fact that 70% of graduates 
don't know what the, the Battle of Waterloo was, like what it entailed, like significant battles. Uh, the other American one, um, uh, the big the big battle with the Davy Crockett. Oh, uh, Alamo. The Alamo, yeah. Seventy percent of graduates didn't know what the Alamo was. These these are American numbers. So that to me says if you don't know about it, you don't know how to watch out for it. You don't know you don't understand what led to those things, right? So you know, it's going to repeat itself because no one's there saying, "Oh, I remember when that happened. It didn't go so well. We better put a break on it." Instead, we put on these blinders, ignore history, and choose to create one that's fantasy, for lack of a better word, that suits the narrative. And that's just not doing anybody any any, any favors going forward. Well, let's bring it back to Canada. I remember just this within the last several months, the anniversary of the FLQ crisis in yeah. in uh, Quebec, where martial law, martial law for the first time, the War Measures Act was invoked in Canada. Yeah. And uh, uh, CBC did a thing, and they went to the University of Ottawa, and they were talking with first and second year students, some of them poli science history students. They said, "Tell me about the War Measures Act or the FLQ or the October crisis." And ninety plus percent of them never heard about that. Okay, yeah. so how is that possible? We are so focused in, in the immediate with what's in front of us, yeah. and we don't understand where we come from. And that's the problem with cancel culture. Don't misconstrue what I'm saying right now. I think, you know, if you look at the atrocities of the residential school, if you look at what happened in Nazi Germany, these are horrific things, okay? But when you tear down statues, when you say Adolf Hitler didn't exist, when you say that when you burn down the Catholic Church, okay, it's out of sight, out of mind, it's going to happen again. That's the danger of cancel culture. And you know what? It's just lip service and something that our prime minister and our government leaders are really good at doing, okay? They talk the talk, but they don't walk the talk. I'm going to get back to what keeps me up at night and makes me angry again is our liberal government, our federal government right now, oh, no. is how upset they are and how angry they are about the uh, uh, the residential school yeah. disaster, okay? But... It, it, and the prime minister was saying that we have to reflect as Canadians and we have to change our way. We have to change nothing. The Canada of today is not the Canada that it was 50 years yep. ago. 50 years ago, Canada was a white Anglo-Saxon monolithic type in Catholic and Quebec country. Okay, It was not the diverse, ethnically diverse country, tolerant country it is today. What happened with the residential schools would not happen I would like to think, in today's Canada. Yeah. And you know what? If we erase what happened, it can happen again. So that's yeah. why cancel culture is very dangerous. Anyways, yeah. let's get back on track, yeah. sir, about security yeah. being ready. Okay, let's get back to the topic at hand. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so, yeah, so we talked about the, the changing um, dynamics around policing. And we're seeing the, uh, the 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 results of that, right? Declining numbers, declining uh, attitude or aptitude to engage. Um, and so it's only a matter of time before that starts to come into the private sector. And security needs to deal with those same issues. We we have a lot of similarities with with, with law enforcement. I would say, you know, we all we both wear uniforms. In many states, very similar uniforms. Um, but the respect for that uniform is significantly different, although I would argue the police respect is going down rapidly as a result of all this garbage that's going on. But in a security guards world, it is significantly different because that, that, that uniform arguably, I think, attracts a lot of um, unneeded or undue um, disrespect 
uh, intentional antagonizing of, of the uh, officer or the guard who happens to be wearing that. And you see a lot of it. I mean, it was happening a couple of years ago when we were still downtown. You, you were seeing the regular um, incidents of people intentionally starting arguments or engaging security with the intent to get something out of them that they can post online, right? They've got freaking websites dedicated to pissing off guards and making them look stupid. That's the level of, of idiocy we have in this world, unfortunately. Um, and so that's not gone away. In fact, I would say it's going to get worse uh, because the, the situations are getting worse. The economy is, you know, inflation's around the corner. It's already here, but it's going to start spiking, I would say. Um, homelessness is through the roof. We've talked, we've seen in Toronto a lot of homeless camps starting to take be, be taken down and apart and all the political implications that come with that. Well, where do those people go? They're going to end up in buildings. They're going to end up in commercial towers. And so front and center to your security program. So I think it's very important for these guys to have the tools, training, and equipment to be able to deal with that. But are they? And that's the question we're going to talk about today. Well, you know, uh, the police, <laughs> the way I see it, you know, what's happening to policing in North America and certainly in Canada as well, and I used the term before, canary in the coal mine, it's under incredible stress. And policing in Canada, as well as the U.S., are reinventing themselves. And there's a real focus on training, on uh, diversity training, on de-escalation training, on community engagement, community policing. It's evolving to meet the needs of the community, yet it's still not enough. And they put a lot of effort, maybe not enough, but a lot of effort and a lot of money into having the police at least in Canada, be responsive and part of the community and appreciated by the community. I've said in the past on this podcast, security and policing are similar, but they're not the same. Policing is enforcement, security is protection, but there is an element that is the same. And the, that element is that, and that's what I'm going to be referring to. It's not the security guard that's sitting at the Coca-Cola bottling plant, watching the door and getting you to sign in or sign out, or the guy at the Toronto library, making sure you're not taking a book. There's a lot of security that is like private policing of uh, private property. Private property such as shopping malls that have tens of thousands of people in it, or the PATH system in Toronto that has hundreds of thousands of people in it. And in that respect, the jobs are similar. Is security ready for the challenges of the 21st century? I don't think so. I mean, the police who are much more trained, and you and I were talking off air, perhaps not trained well enough, but much more trained in dealing with these things are having trouble. What chance is that the security is going to be able to deal with it? Most guards, and there are exceptions. I mean, there's some incredible security programs out there contracted in-house. But that, I think, is an exception rather than the rule. And for a lot of reasons. And I think it's really that a lot of the consumers of security don't really appreciate the value or the importance of security. But... The guards are not trained in diversity, at least not properly. You know, some of my guard company friends are going to tell me that we train our guards in diversity and in uh, uh, terrorism awareness and all that. But I'm sorry, you know what? A 20-minute online training is not training to me. Like, it's a start, but it's not enough. But I also understand there's a limit of what they can do. They're not funded like the Toronto Police to a billion dollars a year. And any training they do is a pass-through to the customer, and the customer, in most cases, isn't willing to fund it. But as a result... I think they're sitting ducks. I think what's going to happen, and I think it's going to happen very soon now that COVID is coming to an end, God willing, and the downtown quarters are going to get repopulated. I think security is going to have to be facing all sorts of challenges that they haven't ever had to face, and they're going to be tested. 
And I don't think they're ready. The other thing is you said there are groups out there. Just watch YouTube. Look at groups of bait police. Look at groups that are baiting security. Their only raison d'etre is to get in their face and to provoke the police officer, the security guard, to do something stupid. So A, they can make a complaint or B, they can put it on YouTube. And unless you have the training and the acumen and the uh, abilities to see through it, and to be professional, you're going to get sucked in. So I don't think we're ready. I think we have the capability. I think we have the apparatus to get ready, but we're a long way to go. And I think we've got to wake up because I think it's going to hit us really, really hard. Yeah, I, I, I agree. We're not ready. I think it's interesting because I think you would agree. I'm going to go on a ledge and think that you agree that, uh, you know, for all the, the bad things that have occurred or all the negative uh, trends that we see in security, one of them being, you know, there, there hasn't been this this sex, um, a strive to be better than we've ever been. It seems to have plateaued for a number of years and we've just sort of remained stagnant. On that aspect, certainly we agree. Uh, but I also think that we would agree, or you would agree, that there are there are good things going on in the industry. I don't know if we have the, the, the expertise yet, to your point, uh, the guys who have the education, the knowledge and experience to actually be able to tie all the positive things together to create that stronger program. So what am I talking about? Things like technology. We've never had better CCTV systems. We've never had better analytics at our fingertips. We've never had better equipment for our guards to be able to use to decapacitate people and keep them under control. You know, the, the policies and procedures are getting better and better, but they're still not quite there. And I think part of the reason for that is the fact that the industry itself does lack um, expertise, strategic expertise, let's put it that way. Anybody can, I shouldn't say anybody, but a guard is a different mentality than a supervisor and certainly a different mentality than the person who's supposed to be leading your strategic program from the top end. That person needs to understand what's going on in society, the whole issues around diversity, the whole issues around inclusivity, you know, all these types of societal issues that ultimately are going to have to be accounted for in your security program. That's what's I think missing right now. I don't think the programs are diverse enough or have the vision to consider those things. I think they're still fixated in many respects, what goes on within those four corners of their property, which has always been their freaking Achilles heel. They don't insist on looking what's going on across the street because that eventually is gonna come and affect you on your side of the street, right? But hey, as long as that door is closed and inside everything's great, that's good enough for the, for the boss and that's good enough for me. Well, yeah, and you are right. I do agree with you. I, 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 you know, to me, the similarity would be that there are pockets of real talented people, really good technology, but like a hockey team and talent, okay, you could have a whole bunch of talented players. If you don't have a coach to bring that talent to work as one in a unified matter, you're not going to succeed. Or another example I like is if you have, if you're a fine restaurant, okay, and you have fresh seafood, Unless you have fresh ingredients, you can't make the seafood. So, and and so you need the ingredients, but you need the chef to pull yeah. it all together. And the problem with the industry is there is no cohesiveness. It is so uh, competitive. Okay, there is no uh, there's no industry association. I know there's ASs and CNAS and different, but with the guarding industry, there's no central body that self-polices, that sets a standard. You know, we have shot, or I'm not the contract security industry, but they have shot themselves in the foot. When they, when security, certainly in Ontario, was being uh, overhauled years ago with regulations from the government, there was an opportunity for the industry to raise the bar 
to self-regulate or regulate above and beyond the government standards, which are painfully low, embarrassingly low, and set a standard saying, just like the medical associations or the Mm -hmm. Bar Society or the uh, uh, different associations that uh, deal with different professions, okay, security doesn't have that. And because of that, there's no standard, there's no vision, and then you have this cutthroat industry where each company is trying to get market share and some of them on the backs of the other. So you're right. I I would agree 100% that I think that we have the ingredients to make a big difference, but we don't have the vision. We don't have the visionary leadership. And I think that's yeah. Yeah. And I agree. Now that you say that, it it brings back uh, a meeting that we had. And I know you'll remember this as soon as I say it, but I won't reference the, the, the specific meeting. But if you recall, we had five of the big carding companies come in to talk about it and the intent of the meeting for our listeners was to basically talk about the industry and how we could take it to the next level and yeah to your point i gotta agree like all five companies seemed very resistant to even having the conversation and we were talking about you know proprietary information we didn't want to talk about pricing and we didn't want to talk about strategy in that sense but we did want to talk about how we could make the industry better as a whole for the business, for the industry. And I think that would benefit everybody. You would think that they would all have some skin in, in, in sort of get in the game and getting that in place, but they didn't want to talk. They, they wanted to keep their cards close to their chest and for whatever, for whatever reason they had for doing that, but it makes it difficult to move forward to improve the industry when you have that type of leadership because they were all leaders. They weren't, uh, you know, they weren't the supervisor level. They were all executives of their respective companies. Many of and, them were presidents yeah, of some of the largest absolutely. companies in Canada. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and so that that to me was a, a a sad indication of where we're at. And it has improved since. And that's what, maybe seven, eight years ago at this point? Yeah. Well, you, you know, like, again, I think a lot of what security is tasked to do is very similar to police. Okay, again, uh, the term private policing, you know, you know, I've always used for security two types of terms, private policing and security, okay? And private policing are done by security, but it's a lot of the same task. It's patrol, it's responding to calls for service, responding to emergencies. And there's a big element of security that does that. And there's other, which is just security, which is protecting an asset that might be like a night watchman or you know, or, or, or a bouncer at a club or something of that nature. So I'm really talking, I think we're talking about the private policing side here of security. So there's many similarities to public policing. They don't have the authorizations of public police have, but they have a lot of the same responsibilities. And if you look again, I think there's a failure to look at the challenges police are having. If you look at the police in both sides of the border, but let's look in Canada, we have different oversight bodies that are industry bodies. You have the OECP, Ontario Association of Chiefs of Police. You have the Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police. You have the government, which is the Police Act, which are legislative acts. And what they do is they hold themselves not only to their legislative responsibilities, but they have their industry standards, okay, through the OECP, through the CACP. And even though they have that, they still struggle but they, they're all working in a unified way. Mm-hmm. The security industry is lacking that. We just have the Security Guard Act, uh, Private Investigator Act of Ontario, which is minimalist at best. And it was like pulling teeth to get that. So I think in order to be ready for the challenge of the 21st century, the industry has to come together. It's okay to compete. You know, I'll give the example of you and I and, and, and others in the financial district on the big towers. 
we formed a group called the Commercial Real Estate Security Leadership Group. And it was a group of the senior security leaders, as you will recall, representing Brookfield and Cadillac Fairview and GWRA and Oxford and... and uh, Bentall's in there. Bentall, Ivan yeah. Cambridge. And what we did was we said, okay, you know what? We're competing with each other and our properties are more prestigious than your properties. But when it comes to security and protection of people and assets, we're not competitors. And how do we work together collaboratively to make the downtown core safer? That's what the industry has to do provincially and nationally. And I think unless they do it, they won't be ready for the challenges. They are going to get clobbered. And the more they get clobbered and the more they're unable to address the needs of the client and the challenges they, they face, uh, they're going to get regulated. They're going to get yeah. regulated by government and other people, and it's not going to be in anyone's interest. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's funny how the, especially the city of Toronto, talks about wanting to be a world, world-class city. Um, and at one point when we were talking G20, we were talking about rings of steel and after the 9-11 attacks and all these fancy strategies to secure the city and to keep it safe. And all those strategies required some sort of integration and cooperation between private sector security, public, se- public sector law enforcement and government agencies. And we've never done it. We've never come close to doing that. I, in fact, I would say Pathcom, what we created on the private sector is probably the closest thing that they've, they've got down in Toronto that sort of synergizes all those stakeholders together. And that was a struggle to get that done. But to your point, when you go to New York and a city that's suffered multiple black eyes, like significant disasters, 9-11 being the, the, the prime example of, of what we're talking about in terms of threats, a real threat, not a natural occurring threat, but a specific threat, man-made threat, where you know they're coming after you type thing. You, you look at the security programs that they put in place there, and I remember doing a tour of, uh, and it wasn't that long ago, I did a tour of the uh, the Liberty World Trade Tower. Center. Yeah, oh, yeah. World Trade, World Trade yeah. Center. So I got, I got to do a tour of that. And, and if you ever get a chance to do it, I know, outstanding. I did. Couple What's years underneath ago. there is, an, is an impressive. Mm-hmm. But what I was impressed with uh, as well was, if you recall the control center, they had police officers embedded with private sector security officers monitoring those cameras in, in that whole block. It's not just for the tower. It's that whole area, right? Mm-hmm. And they've been they've managed to stitch that all together because that's how you're going to survive today. You've got to have eyes into all areas of the of wherever it is that you exist, whatever business you're in. You can't just focus on your own little niche, your own little tower, your own little business line. You have to be connected into these other areas because it's all a chain of a chain link effect, right? One domino falls, it cascades down the line, and that's what I think is lacking in security planning for most of the buildings, certainly in downtown Toronto, because I know the big five was us, we were there, so we know where, where they were at. It only gets worse from there. Right? Yeah, like, there's nobody with more money and more funds and more uh, ability to, to create a security program in-house than those companies that we work for. So if they were the benchmark, <laughs> it only gets worse from there. Yeah, That's does. just, we're not ready. It's as simple as that. We are not ready to, to take on that type of an incident in this city, certainly. Well, you know, there's an absence, I really think, of visionary leadership. You don't have it on the public sector side, on the policing side. You don't have it on the private sector side. There was a time where I think we had at least on the private sector side, but there is no one or handful of leaders that are setting a vision, 
okay, setting a mission, and then actually operationalizing towards that. You talk about New York and what's really interested, interesting. After 9-11, they realized there was a disconnect between all sorts of people that are charged with the safety and security yeah. of America. And that was police, intelligence, military, private sector, industry. And they created these fusion centers. And a fusion center is just what the name implies. It's a center of command and control of intelligence where you have parties, all the stakeholders working collaboratively for one defined mission to protect America against terrorism or protect New York City. Yeah. And you would have in the fusion center, you know, you would have police, you would have FBI, you would have intelligence, military, security personnel from the World Trade Center, from the target stuff. Canada did a similar thing also. We created fusion centers. But the difference in Canada was that our fusion centers were just public sector. It was just police. It was law enforcement. Yeah. It was intelligence. They never invited the private sector to the table. There may be a couple of reasons for it. It might be that the private sector in Canada uh, was not that impressive to them. Maybe they felt we weren't at the same level. You know, I would take umbrage with that because mm -hmm. as a generality, that might be correct, but there were exceptions. And again, I'm very proud of being part of a great team of security professionals that protected Toronto downtown and financial district, which was a terror target. And we know that years were there working with CSIS. So uh, we didn't do that in Canada. And that's why I think the things have failed you know, uh, in terms of working collaboratively. And if you look at the successes we have, they were private sector led. And we tried to create our own fusion centers, but yep. we weren't able to because we couldn't get the bind because there was no leadership. And the challenge on the policing side or the law enforcement side is they're on a three year, four year cycle. And what I mean by that is everyone in order to advance their career needs to get promoted. And the way it usually works in law enforcement, you may be working in one section, you get promoted, the rank up, and they move you to another section. So you, as a general rule, you don't have longevity. You work three years and maybe emergency, well, not emergency management, Bill Needles is an exception to that, but three years in homicide, and then you go three years to fraud, that you're a victim of that. You worked in uh, uh, intelligence and uh, terrorism, did a great job. I think you single-handedly saved the country on more than one occasion. <laughs> and then when your gig was up, they wanted to move you out. So that's the problem. Whereas on the private sector, you know, we, uh, our senior leaders, our senior leaders, often for 10, 20, 25 years type thing. So we realized that we were willing to take the lead, but we couldn't get any, any buy-in. And the difference in the States was their nose was truly bloodied. And yeah. they realized that they had to stop these petty rivalries of agency versus agency. They had to work collectively. I hope it doesn't take the same thing for that to happen here, but I'm worried when I see the challenges of the 21st century, I see the anarchy that seems to be appearing. I see the potential, the, the, the polarization of both the American and Canadian society. I see the hatred that's there. If yeah. we don't get our stuff together, it's going to be a tough ride. I think ultimately we're going to do it right, but why do we got to get our nose bloodied? We see what's coming down the track. Yeah, I, I think you hit it on the head when you said leadership, um, and, and that's it all starts there. Like if you don't have the right leaders with the right vision, nothing's going to happen. And I again, I remember the the I think it was the commissioner of the NYPD coming to uh, to present to us at one of this uh, TAP symposiums we used to have. That's gone yeah. away as well. Yes. Um, and that was another great partnership between public and private sectors that, that's been allowed to, to die. 
a slow and painful death, which is unfortunate because it brought value. And one of them was bringing in people who've experienced the, yes. you know, the, these issues and how they dealt with it. And in this particular uh, example that I'm referring to is the um, the then new role of, uh, what was it, Commissioner of Emergency Response or Director oh, of Com it, Emergency Response. New York City? For the city of New York City. Emergency and him telling us, yeah. Yes. And him telling us the story about the fact, I think it was uh, Hurricane Sandy. I can't remember what the yes, incident it was. was. The, emergency the big was. hurricane that killed but, New York yeah. City. Yeah. And he and him standing in the, in one of their fusion centers, listening to the police chief issue demands and and the fire chief issue demands and the OEM their version of the emergency management uh, directorship or issuing their demands and nobody actually wanting to work with anybody, more concerned about controlling their own little fiefdoms and and showing that they had control um, and no coordination and that his position was created out of that. For they that all reason. reported into him yeah. for that reason. And then I also remember a short time later hearing the same scenario coming out of the Toronto offices. And I don't have to, I'm not going to mention who it was or the mayors because they're all around still, but the same thing where you had the police chief arguing with the fire chief, arguing with the OEM office. And in our case, we never did create that position. To my knowledge, it's still the same today as it was yeah. then. So when shit is the fan, are we going to experience the same thing again? Do we have to go down that road to, to say, maybe we should create that position now? We've already been down that road. We've, we've got the experience behind us. And, and, you know, that was sort of our philosophy with the CRE, the Commercial Real Estate uh, Security Group, Security yeah. Leadership Group, with the G20. Going into the G20, we realized, you know what, like we can do it. Each one of us had good programs. But what if we worked collaboratively? And what if we had a collaborative plan? And we did. And the first time in the history of Toronto, uh, and it was part of the planning, we were able to close down the path. Okay, in seconds. The path is 26 kilometers, I think. It's hundreds and hundreds of doors. There's no electronic or central system. But because we had a plan and we worked collaboratively, and again, that was private sector led, and the police joined in with us because we had to initiate that. So I'm not saying this because I want kudos for the private sector. We have to look beyond ourselves. We got to look at the greater good, the greater need of the city, of the communities that we police or we secure. And we've got to do the right thing by coming together. And, you know, I, I hate to say it, we still have a long way to go in this city and in this country. Yeah. yeah. And, and the danger, you know, like you say, it's not about giving kudos to ourselves because, say, we built it. We should take credit for it. I, I make no excuses for that because it was a lot of work. But it, it it's... We say it as an example, right? Present it as an example of what can be achieved with the right people in place, with the right leaders, leaders in place. And it's difficult for the public sector to do that. We did it regardless of that. I think at one point we just said, we're building this yeah. regardless of whether or not the police are gonna join us or not. And then afterwards they ended up coming on board because it just made sense. Um, but you don't always get that kind of uh, attitude from, from, from those types of, of leaders. Right? Listen, especially with police. Well, yeah, but I got to tell you something. We put our, and we, I could say this now because I'm no longer employed downtown, nor are you, <laughs> but we did it in spite of our own companies. We yeah. didn't ask for permission of our, our, our C suite executives because they probably would have said no, quite honestly, not because they're bad people, because they don't understand. But each of us that was around that table were the senior leader of the security program for the corporations we represented. And we saw it within our mandate to do what we needed to do to protect our organization. And we surmised, and we all agreed, working collaboratively, you know, unlike our marketing guys and our leasing guys that are competing, I wasn't competing with you. If you had a security failure, it was my security failure. If you had a success, it was my success. And we were able to do that. Unfortunately, again, I don't see anyone right now 
that uh, you know on the private side or the public side that could bring people together and the leaders that existed five six seven years ago they've since gone you know i'm yeah. thinking of bill needles i'm thinking of chris fernandez uh greg cole he's still at 52 division i'm thinking of you uh, me sort of retired or you know moved on david salston you know terry chwanek is retired you know moved on and they and i'm probably going to get complaints from my <laughs> colleagues and friends but I don't see anyone stepping up to fill that void. And it's not that, you know, we were any smarter than anyone else. We were just passionate, you know, yeah. and we we felt so strongly. There's so many smart young practitioners out there, you know, that we wanted to pass the mantle over to. It's there for a private sector leader. It's there for a, a, a contract security company to fill that void, to give that leadership. And unless that happens, like I say, we will not be ready for the challenges of the 21st century. Yeah. And, and it's for the businesses, getting back to, to business, they need to appreciate that that is required. They can't sit there. And, you know, I know some of our uh, stakeholders had those challenges. I won't name the company, but uh, they, the, the security practitioner appreciates the fact that, you know, you need to be integrated. You need to be um, cooperative with, with your fellow security operations in the town. You can't just look at your own company space. You have to be out there and engaging with others. But it was the company that just continued to have that narrow focus, don't care about that stuff, don't need to know about that stuff, and we want you to just worry about what goes on between our four walls, right? So there is that pushback that businesses, I think, need to be more aware and more cognizant of the fact that just like their businesses changed, right? In the old days, logistics was a short supply chain from the, the 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 builder down on St. Clair and Dufferin up to Woodbridge where they install the wood. That's your supply chain. But today that wood comes from freaking, you know, BC. It goes over to China to be refinished. So that that logistics chain has changed and they have mm -hmm. to change the business approach for that. And likewise, the security, the security uh, program, the security training, all that stuff has changed because they too have been integrated into this, or the threat, the threats and the risks that exist out there are now intertwined with society. It's no longer just the guy coming in your front door. That guy, something could be happening across the world, a de demonstration in Israel, for example, and all of a sudden you've got it on your front door because you you house the Israeli consulate and you've got a bunch of angry Palestinians who want to, you know, demonstrate out front or cause damage. You've got to be prepared for that. And you're not going to be prepared for it by just looking at the front of your nose that stops at the property line. Yeah. It takes vision. It takes leadership. It takes courage. And, 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 uh, um, you know, it's like anything else, you know, uh, you can't win the, the, the Stanley Cup if you don't have a plan and you don't have a coach. You can't be a fine restaurant if you don't have a, uh, a master chef and you can't be a symphony orchestra because all those people are talented, but it's just noise until the conductor brings it together to make music. And that's sort of what's lacking. And right now there's a lot of noise in the industry. There's not beautiful music. They're capable of it, and that's yeah. why I get angry so often because they're capable of it, but they are we are so myopic and short sighted, no one is uh, uh seizing the opportunity. Yeah, well, hopefully, it'll change, and uh, I'm uh gonna move us towards closing because we're up on 45 and it takes you 10 minutes just to summarize your thoughts. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> so but I will say so. I have to say the conductor for your hometown cabs wasn't doing the job then because oh. <laughs> it hurts me to say because I guess they're Canadian, but you know, I just 
I don't know what happened there. They just crashed well, and burned. I, I noticed you're wearing your Italia shirt with pride. You may be taking yes. it off shortly. It's no, shame. No. <laughs> they are going to hand the English a beating if the right team shows up. If the other team shows up that showed up uh, last game, I don't know. Then it'll be a toss-up. <laughs> yeah. But let's hope not. Uh, yeah. So with that, uh, I think our next guest, we hope to have um, your buddy and ours and mine. Uh, Chris Fernandez. He doesn't really like you, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> and uh, well, you 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 you're better at explaining his role now and and why we're bringing him on to talk about the interaction between security and the public space. Yeah, Chris, I think is in a unique position uh, to uh, continue our conversation from today about are we ready for the 21st century. Chris, just a little bit on his bio, he was a Toronto police officer for many years. Uh, he was a, uh, a patrolman, a sergeant. He was in the ETF, the SWAT team. He got promoted. He was a superintendent uh, uh, with the Tavis unit, running the Tavis unit, which is Toronto's uh, anti-violence initiative something, I think. And it's really the gang unit. Uh, they would be deployed where there's a lot of gun crime and things like that. He left uh, Toronto, went to German Regional Police, where he was their deputy chief of police. And he's now retired from policing, and he's in the security industry. And he's working for one of the large companies downtown Toronto, responsible for a lot of their assets in downtown Toronto. I think what Chris is going to bring to the table is he understands the challenges from the policing side. He's worked in a unit which had a controversial uh, and colored uh, past. Uh, they engaged with the community. Uh, there was a lot of uh, 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 gang activity. And now he's working on the private sector and he sees it differently. And he has to deal with, he, he's responsible for several large retail shopping malls in the inner city and, and, and major, major office towers. And his security team has to deal with a lot of the same things that the police had to deal with. So it'd be interesting next week to have Chris on to see, talk about the transition and to take our discussion to that next level and uh, see where it goes from there. Good. No, I look forward to it. Chris is a solid guy. I always like talking to him. Um, so it should be an interesting discussion. Um, before we sign off, I did want to point out that you're wearing a T-shirt this week, and you made fun of me for wearing a T-shirt last week. First. And secondly, I do want to thank you for spending all that money for this fancy background that I have now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said the sponsor wasn't doing any sponsorship. So if you're thinking I was going to pay, you know, but we got your background. So there you well, maybe go. Maybe a T-shirt would be nice, you know, a BCA or something. Oh, geez. No, we'll see. We'll, we'll check with the marketing department. We'll see what we could do. And I just want to ask you before we go, are you proud of me? Because I know you were quite nervous with our pre-podcast discussion that I was a bit of a loose cannon. You were and angry. I, and I was, you know. But when I thought <laughs> if I say the things I wanted to say, I might be a marked man. So I toned it down because of you. You had that effect on me. I do. I am a calming person, as you, you can are, tell. You're a calming person. <laughs> I'm lucky to have you as my yes, friend. Yes, And who knows, maybe soon we'll be able to do these in, in person in actually the same room, which would be nice. Then I can actually nice. reach over and strangle you. Well, the thing, and I think that's coming, but it's really up to you because I've had the two shots you haven't. So that it's, you know, we're looking at you, Mr. Cedric. Uh, our audience, our 100,000 followers are yes. waiting for you to get that shot. <laughs> I will strive to get it. Good man. Okay, then we'll, we'll, you know what? Our idea was for this year is to do this podcast, uh, uh, Cigars, Whiskey, yes. and Discussion. 
And once we're yeah. together, we'll get the Irish whiskey out, we'll get some Cuban scars out, and we'll blow it in each other's face, and we'll we'll really get going. Exactly. Damn yeah. sure. Okay, yeah. so with that, I will get my damn vaccine shot. I don't know if I'll have it for next episode, but I will strive to get it so we can do that and make that a reality. Yeah, but until then, I will say Forza Azzurri. Let's kick the crap out of them English and uh, <laughs> win our second Euro Cup. And uh, lots of drinking and drinking and, and uh, smoking that night. Uh, so that... Till next time, I'm signing off. And my friendship to you, go Italy. Because Montreal <laughs> let me down. Be good, everyone. Take care. All right. Thanks. Talk to you later. That concludes this podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and will join us in a couple of weeks for our latest episode. Please remember to like and follow us on our sponsor's webpage, brianclayman.com, where you can leave us your comments and suggest topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening and don't forget to protect your assets.